Hello, and welcome to another episode of Lost to Time. You're joined by myself, Joshua Mallard, and co-host, Han Hitchin. Now, we're coming back to you again with another special edition episode, another interview. Before we get into that, though, let's talk about the camp events that are coming up. So there's Campground 22, which is the big thing. I mean, <laughs> Han, we've been hyping this up every episode, right? Oh, yeah, and it's totally worth being hyped up about. I mean, if you've looked at the list of composers and performers who are going to be there, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, this is the thing to be at. This is the the big camp event. It's from March 24th to 26th, and it's in the Tampa and St. Petersburg area. That's Campground 22. And, I mean, it's just going to be a whole bunch of music. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're definitely going to be enjoying the festival. So, um. I hope to see some of you there. Uh, you can find more information on the camp website, contemporaryartmusicproject.org, and of course you can click the events page. Now, from that same events page, you can find a lot of links to live streams of our past concerts like Constellations, Intempore, Project Goot. Um, so, you know, that's the place to go if you want to do anything. <laughs> see some of our past concerts, check out some of the other podcasts, and we should shout out the other podcasts as well. Um, take a listen to Earshot. Take a listen to Play the Ink. Take a listen to Musical Headwaters as well. Um, now, Han, how about you tell them about the ways they can help keep camp alive? Sure. So while you're at the Contemporary Art Music Project website, you can find a yellow donate button up at the top. And that'll take you to a GoFundMe page where you can donate to camp. Now, why is it important to donate to camp? Well, it helps make events like Campground happen. It helps make um, future projects happen. So if you want to see more amazing projects coming from camp, then consider donating. Yes, it's again, I say this all the time. It's very amazing coming from Florida to see these events taking place in Tampa and St. Pete. Um, it's just really cool. And I, I think Florida is going to be um, you know, becoming a bigger community for new music, especially with camp around. So, you mm -hmm. know, be a part of it. Yes. That being said, we did say we had another special edition episode. This is a rare opportunity where we're not talking about composers who are, you know, from the past. Um, we're talking about living composers who are active right now, who we should be appreciating. Um, mm -hmm. You know, many of these from a variety of different backgrounds, making a variety of different music. Um, if you listen to the other camp podcasts, you'll see some of these interviews pop up. Um, that being said, today we're we're interviewing Miho Sasaki. So we're very glad to introduce Miho. Now, before we bring on Miho, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Miho's background. So Miho's from Chiba City, Japan a composer, pianist, and a teacher. And Miho's music's been commissioned and performed by just a huge variety. Um, when you look at some of these bios, there's just lists and lists and lists of different ensembles, different organizations, and you know, Miho's in that category of someone whose music is definitely getting around. Now, Miho's music can definitely speak for itself, and we'll be listening to, yes, listening to um, one of Miho's pieces, so that'll be super exciting. Um, before we spoil that, let us introduce Miho Sasaki. All right, everyone, welcome. And we now have Miho Sasaki with us today. Miho, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, thank you so much for having me in your special, very special concert. 
Absolutely. And today we're going to talk about your piece, Como Rebi, the tree, tree Escape Light. And this piece is for solo saxophone, and it was recently performed in the Constellations concert um, that Camp had. It was performed by Catherine Weintraub, and you will hear a recording of that performance a little later in this episode. And this piece is really, really gorgeous and wonderful. Um, not only is Catherine's performance wonderful, but so is uh, Miho's writing. It's really, really just such an interesting work. And we were wondering, um, what were some of the inspirations that drew you that to compose this work? You know, what were some things that you were thinking about when you were writing this piece? Yes, uh, first of all, uh, yes, Catherine's performance was amazing. It's really, um, I was really stunned and I uh, really appreciate hard work. It's not easy piece, especially the third movement, and, but it, she looked total control and comfortable and um, I really enjoyed performance. So um, I like really thank Catherine for her hard work. Uh, for this piece, the Komarevi, um, uh, the inspiration comes from the um, nature and the beauty of the instrument itself. Um, the instrument is a its versatile versatility and the capability gave me an opportunity to explore the sonority of the sound and express the variety of phrases uh, in the nature. Oh yes, the saxophone has recently become one of my most favorite instruments. Like. <laughs> yes. It always blows me away, especially, I guess, because, you know, I'm a flutist and mm. the idea that saxophonists can pick up, you know, their four different saxophones and just like have have a good time with them. And um, yes, Catherine is very amazing. Um, I, I like the idea of, um, you know, the whole tree escaping light. Um, and we discussed a little earlier, there's no direct English translation. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about the concept and how you applied like the whole sunshine filtering through the leaves to the composition or how that worked into the material? Uh, yes, uh, that's a great question. Um, I will try my best to put it together, <laughs> my ideas. Um, the light, the, the escape lights in Komorebi is, it's a, has a kind of temperature, the warmth. And, and I'm trying to express the warmth, especially in the second movement, the earth bed. And mm -hmm. I was hoping that the listeners can feel the warmth from the sound of the alto saxophone, and which Catherine did great, and Gail did an amazing sound of sonority and i was it's almost like a, a cat lady laying under the sun at home it's like a total relaxing and therapeutic uh effect um and uh, yeah that's a kind of um lights that i was asking for i uh, try to express in the second movement uh the the third movements are more like uh, um the refraction of the light kind of a, a kind of scattering around that's why it's i named it uh subtitle the scatter for the third movement oh i really love that approach because um one thing han and i like to think about is what sort of things do composers focus on like 
some composers are really interested in melody um, mm-hmm. and others in rhythm, others in timbre. And I like how um, in the case of your second movement, you talked about conveying warmth through the sound of the instrument. I mm-hmm. think it's really cool because um, it's timbre focused, but it's also like something so innate to the saxophone. Um, so I'm actually interested, did you know um, like before you went to write this piece, was it like um, that you had to write for a saxophone or did you choose to write for a saxophone as like, um, was it like a commission or was it something that you just set out to do? Uh, that's a great uh, question. Yes, this, uh, this one was, it was commissioned by Gail Levinsky. Uh, I don't know if you know her. She uh, she's a faculty of uh, Susquehanna's University. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. My guess is Susquehanna. Yes, that's I'm not how. Certain. <laughs> it's very hard for me to pronounce because uh, English is as a second language. It's hard language. for us too. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> but yeah, it's a Gail Levinsky commissioned uh, me to write a piece and. Uh, for some, um, somewhere, she just found me through a common people we know. And then um, I always, uh, before Gail, I always loved the saxophone. And especially tenor and Barry, I love the low kind of grounding sound, like a bass clarinet, alto flute, or bass, bass uh, flute. There's a big flute I, I have seen before. Uh, but anyhow, but uh, interesting story. The Gail suggested me to write for alto saxophone for this particular piece mm-hmm. um, because it's uh, easier to travel around. She said, and it's I totally make sense. And then it's uh, and, and then understandable. And then I will. And then and I like my piece to travel around, of course. And yeah. And I'm a kind of pianist. I play piano, so uh, you don't really much have experience to even think carrying an instrument. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you just go to the place and where the piano is. So yeah, that was alto saxophone uh, was selected by Gail, and so that was yeah, that's how it came to this piece. Yeah, traveling. That's actually a, a big part of it I've never thought about (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. I mean there are musicians that we are connected with on social media who will do touring and stuff and we'll see you know updates on incidents where even not through flight like because I've flown I'm a horn player and I've flown with my horn before and it's not an easy task but I've seen situations where people are touring and either their instruments get damaged through flight or get stolen from vehicles and mm-hmm. it can be really, really stressful. So having, you know, one instrument that's small, you know, easy to carry onto a plane or take with you inside somewhere, you know, that's definitely something that is a big plus and logistically makes a lot of sense when choosing to, you know, write a piece that you want to be performed everywhere. I know. Yeah, I can't imagine to uh, fly with the horn. I don't, I, I'm sure you carry on. Oh, yeah, I carried, yeah, I carried on. There was no way I was going to have that put under the plane. No, sorry. Yeah. That is no. too expensive. <laughs> yeah, and then you had to probably think if it's going to fit over the compartment or the, put it in yeah. the, under the seat. Yeah. yeah. 
if a horn can fit on the little thing, the little bag compartment above your heads, then I think a an alto sax definitely can too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I've seen the alto saxophone. The, the case is huge. Uh, not the alto saxophone, but bari or tenor. The oh, yeah. case oh, yeah. is like a size of suitcase, oh, and yeah. it's like. <laughs> Yeah, it it takes uh, quite effort to fly around. And Gail had a, uh, I think she had an idea already to fly to, fly to Missouri for Women um, Composers Festival at the uh, university that happens in every March. And mm-hmm. she also traveled around. Uh, so yeah, that was a, one, one of the learning experience for me. The, uh, and then I, the, have to consider the instrument convenience. <laughs> Absolutely, and that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, it's definitely. Um, in that case, it's logistically simpler to write for a solo wind instrument than it would be to write for solo multi percussion. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to write solo timpani on a. <laughs> oh yes. oh yeah, <laughs> those pieces fair. are awesome though. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, yes. um, on the topic of travel, that that got me thinking of: Have you considered this piece being performed like outside or in a forest? Um, I know nowadays people are talking about moving outside of the concert halls, and I think the concept of this, with the the sunshine and the nature imagery, I think it would be great for like an outdoor setting. Mm-hmm. Uh that's a beautiful idea. I would love to experiment that. Yeah, I have seen the more and more people recording in the forest and or somewhere outside. And yeah, that's a that's a beautiful idea. And I like. I'm very curious to um, how the sounds gonna come out. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something where like the the environment pieces are performed in can completely change how us as listeners, I guess, interpret it. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. And there's a lot of pieces that are written specifically to be performed outside, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering, uh, Miho, with this piece, um, how has it evolved over time since you first uh, wrote it for Gail Levinsky? And or how if it has. Yeah, mm-hmm. if it has, how it has, and maybe not specifically the piece, but maybe how you interpret it, what it means to you, and how other performers interpret it as well. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it, interestingly, the uh, meaning of the piece is still the same, kind of, uh, uh, but the, whenever I receive the different um, impact or interpretation from the different performers, uh, it's kind of, I see, I, I I enjoy that the piece itself kind of evolves at the hands of those great players like Gail and Catherine. Like their mm-hmm. interpretation is very different. It might be, it might be hard to tell because it's so subtle. As, uh, but their interpretation is different, and the piece just itself evolves at the hand of great players. And I really enjoy to uh, experience that. Oh, yeah, especially with solo works. Um, I'd, I guess I'd actually love to know when you have a solo work like this written, 
how open is the score to interpretation? Is everything metered? Are all the dynamics like really specific? And I mean, how how open are you to players making their own decisions with like the tempo or changing some of the phrasing, things like that? That's a <laughs> challenging question, isn't it? <laughs> Make you think. I'm sure you guys have a solo piece and a written for soloist too, right? Mm-hmm. And work with mm-hmm. the soloist and how much you're going to expect the way that you want it and <laughs> how much it gives the flexibility to the solo player. I think uh, it depends on uh, depends on who you're talking to too. <laughs> Oh yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, and it's helpful if uh, uh, you know the person who you're writing for, uh, because you know their skills and then you know their personality. Uh, actually, really helps. But um, Gail, when we uh, when Gail asked when we had a little conversation about uh, this project, uh, she was open to anything whatever I want to write. And that's, that is a kind of gift for us, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can do. And uh, I said, I want to make it idiomatic and then I want to make it, you know, as easy as possible for the instrument and players. But she said, just write whatever you want to do. And it's our job to make it work. Mm-hmm. It, not many performers. <laughs> <laughs> will say that kind of things uh, in, at least in my in my experience and uh and so that was actually the challenge yeah, because there's an, no limitation you can do any way you want it you can write and that there's a like a little limitation helps all uh it's sometimes helpful. I don't know if you agree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I've, we've heard that from many composers now where when you have all the choices available, it's hard to make a choice. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. That, that is, a, yeah, that's a, a absolutely uh, to- uh, true. And so, so I wrote really really without any restriction limitation which was a joy complete joy uh and uh i handed to her and just the tempo and the dynamics and then all kind of stuff are uh i i didn't say much more than i indicated in the score mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i and i let almost gave a freedom for of Gail to or Catherine to express the way they feel through the composition. Yeah, that's the magic of some of the the performers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then they are so experienced and professional. Um so I didn't have to really say anything. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. one that's one of the best feelings when you give your new piece to your performer and they just take it and bring it to life, not just bring it to life, but kind of create a new life with it. Oh, yes. You find just so fascinating. And, you know, having collaborated on solo works, especially solo wind works before, I mean, it's just so 
um, invigorating and fun to have that experience. It's a it's a, a indescribable feeling when that the music comes uh, to life, and it's the the performer and the music performer brings beyond your expectation and mm-hmm. just the entire whole world. Uh, it's like, yeah, that's a that's what uh, how I felt with the Gail and Catherine. It just so. Uh, it, it, the piece became theirs, not like almost. It, it's still your piece, but it's it became theirs. So that's a a little sentimental feeling. Uh, it's like a child leaving a like college or just married to somebody. I don't know. You mm-hmm. guys are still young, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like a, yeah. Um, it's a mixed feeling, but but yeah, it's a great feeling. Oh, absolutely. And having composed for um, wind instruments, solo wind instruments, just solo works in general, um, there's a lot of processes behind doing that. So I was wondering, how do you go about deciding the pitch language of your piece? Um, Do you feel that pitch is an important aspect of your music? And if anything, do you think any other aspect like timbre, rhythm, maybe phrasing, anything like that, um, is there like a little hierarchy you have, would you say, that one is more important than the other? Sorry, that's like a two-parter question. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, it, it's, it, it, it's a great, great uh, point. The, I always think of those things when I, when I uh, everybody, I'm sure, uh, think of those things. Uh, in terms of this piece or I don't know overall my piece I think um, phrasing will be maybe the main part uh, there'll be important things uh, the pitch wise is in, um, everything is important but <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but um, my when I compose uh, some piece partic- like a particular instrument or um, the chambers or anything, I try try to bring it out the best of the instrument. Mm-hmm. So if when I'm writing for alto saxophone, um, I look for sounds that uh, will bring the best of alto saxophone and the best of the player. So mm-hmm. it helps. So the opening of first movement, the filter, um, it's such a beautiful tone and the timbre the out the saxophone uh creates it's it could be subjective like maybe it's it's my sense so maybe it's different to the other people or listeners but uh, i wanted to kind of bring it out the beauty of high but not pinchy like a warm um like almost like you embracing the atmosphere atmospheric mm-hmm. effect uh at the opening uh and the the when it comes to certain section the i kind of wait on a rhythm i kind of focus on the rhythm to have a little sense of fun and playful things mm-hmm. um something like that oh yeah i love how the um i mean the saxophone is one of the few instruments that can really do that the really soft high notes that have that airy quality 
Yeah, um, but still dense, isn't it? It's not like yeah. thin. Yeah. Yeah, it's still really warm and rich, which is yeah. just so gorgeous about the instrument. It is. It's hard to do that on flute. <laughs> I, I, flute is my another favorite uh, instrument, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the low register on flute so much. Yes. Mm, me too. Now, for the... Um, for the people tuning in who might not be familiar with more of your music, do a lot of your works have to do with nature? And if so, what about nature like really interests you? Um, yeah, most of my musics are associated with the nature. Um, and the title is based on the nature. Uh, I have an orchestra piece. It's called the Ryuki, which is uh, it's a movement of actually the arts tectonic movements, earthquake mm-hmm. things. Um, yeah, and the, the little snow flurry kind of things. Yeah, I don't know. I, um, it could be because of my background growing up in Japan because uh, Japan culture is all about nature um, and uh, four seasons. And we have uh, events in every season. It's like appreciate the transformation of trees in in the seasons um Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of i think that i was inspired since i was childhood i guess oh that's amazing it's not yeah and sometimes not necessarily everything's beautiful because the nature sometimes becomes very severe and um Mm -hmm. aggressive and i like that part of it to express in the music too Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> we were seeing <laughs> snowstorms as we yeah. were talking about a yes. little. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a piece about snowstorm yet, so that's <laughs> a bit next project. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's super interesting. Um, you know, nature—it's all around us, but it's—it seems simple, but it's like infinitely complex at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's what's what's really interesting about it to me. Yeah, and the, the the nature is a, the another thing is a very inspiring and attractive about it is there's no, um, it, it's there's what's the word I'm looking for um irregular phrase. Mm-hmm. It's not like a square, you know. As mm-hmm. the bright, you never know where where the leaves gonna grow. Where you never know where the weeds are growing. It's just unpredictable sometimes. Yes. So and and my phrasing in my most of my pieces are irregular, and that's uh, another thing that I feel natural about it. Yeah, nature. I mean, what's super interesting is it's so unpredictable, but. I've read too that like in the biology, mm-hmm. there's all these underlying patterns mm-hmm. that can be consistent through different elements of nature. And it's like, it's like, it's again, that thing where it's infinitely complex. It is. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at, um, at like certain pictures, like, I don't know the correct word, but if you look at, there are certain pictures of different, like, maybe microscopic like cell readings. I'm not a science person, so I'm sorry if these are not the correct terms. <laughs> no, no, I listeners. know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I know exactly what you, you're talking about. Yeah, you zoom, you zoom in on these like pictures of like leaves or e- mm-hmm. not even the, at a molecular level and you can see these 
fascinating, perfect little patterns. I mean, even like snowflakes, like snowflakes, the concept that they're all like little six-sided things and they're all unique. I mean, as a child, I did not believe that. I was like, that that's not real. That can't be real. And then now I'm seeing snow and I'm it's like, oh my God, beautiful. it is real. <laughs> yeah, the, the nature, what's invented, the, uh, how they create it's so beautiful when you look at those microscopic uh, things. It's so much patterns there and it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. I so agree with you. <laughs> yes. Now there is um there's one thing that was kind of like a curiosity because when when we read your ch- your title it made me think of this concept I've heard only recently called um in Italian word chiaro scuro mm-hmm. and it's like in visual art mm-hmm. about contrast between light and dark and balancing that to create like a sense of depth or volume things like that I wondered if you had heard of that at all um. And I don't know, it might be interesting in connection with the whole light filtering through trees idea. Yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with the uh, technique, the painter painting, and it's a beautiful painting. Uh, do you, are you a painter too? No, but I'm always amazed by what other people do, I guess. Yeah, it's a beautiful painting. Uh, I... I Found it that's uh, it, very interesting how you came up with this uh, uh, ideas and works, and I was I'm thinking like if it is or it's like light and dark, I, it kind of made me think. Um, revisit the it's great that I can revisit the um, my piece to think about like did I have the idea in mind like light and dark, and I'm sure I had like a density and uh but it could be the depends on the in, interpretation uh too based and depends on the person when they hear listen to my piece um you might hear light and dark uh or you might feel warm and cold mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so that's a kind of tricky question. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's the power of interpretation. Um, for those listening, we're now going to show you um, the audio so you can sit back and enjoy the piece. Um, this is Como Rebi, Tree Escape Light, and it's performed by Catherine Weintraub um, by Miho Sasaki. So thank you so much for joining us, Miho. We had a great time, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy your piece. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, truly honored to be a part of the uh, wonderful festival. Thank you. And we're honored to have you. And to our listeners, if you would like to hear more of Miho Sasaki's music, you could check out her website at sasakimusic.com. Yes, we hope you enjoy.
Hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, before you go, I'd like to remind you all about some camp activities. We recently had the Project Goot virtual concert that was on January 17th. You can find that right on the camp website and stream it. Um, we also have the big news coming up, the Campground 22, our big festival that we've been hyping up <laughs> basically every episode. And that's from March 24th to 26th in the Tampa and St. Petersburg area. Find some more info on that on the website. Now, Han, can you remind us about the GoFundMe campaign? Absolutely. So if you go to the contemporaryartmusicproject.org, you will find a yellow donate button at the top of the site, and that will take you to a GoFundMe page. It's so important that you donate to camp because that will help keep projects like Campground, Project Goot, and other concerts to keep happening in the future. And it would be really great for camp to keep going. So please consider donating today. Yes, that's all for today, and we'll see you in the next episode.